welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, August 6th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, follow-up from yesterday's show, strategy on gun safety legislation, Democratic primary donors are spreading their money around, Gravel endorses Sanders, and Schulten enters the race again in Iowa against King. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Okay, first up today, thank you to all the people who sent me notes about yesterday's show. I've been working in media for a long time now, about a decade and a half, and I have only once before seen a reaction like what happened yesterday evening and what has continued into today. I appreciate your support and, you know, thank you. Now, to make this a segment that's not just talking about the show on the show, I saw yet another clip from former Representative Beto O'Rourke last night that makes a very important point. And that point is echoing part of what he said yesterday in his now famous WTF clip, essentially that the media has a responsibility to the truth and to provide context. I also really appreciate that somehow he managed to be the second candidate to get a swear word onto live cable TV, Senator Cory Booker was first during the debates, and both of them did so while quoting President Trump. So, um, I guess warning, there is a reference to those s-hole countries in the clip coming up, and I didn't bother to bleep it. But I want to give you some context for hearing the dynamics in this clip. First, I want you to listen to CNN reporter Chris Cuomo here and how he phrases his question, right? Like he's doing this classic reporter thing of saying, yeah, but the president also said this other thing. Won't you give him credit for that? And then listen to how O'Rourke responds by essentially explaining to the man how to do his job. This clip ends abruptly, but again, that's in the source audio, so what are you going to do? All right, listen in. And he did say white supremacy is hate and should be treated as domestic terror. Important for you then to say that this is the same man who called white nationalists and Klansmen and neo-Nazis very fine people, who asked for more immigrants who look like those in Sweden and Norway, the the whitest places on the planet, while describing immigrants from Haiti as full of AIDS or countries in Africa as shithole nations. This is the most racist president we've had since perhaps Andrew Johnson in in another age and another century. And and he is responsible for the hatred and the violence that we're seeing right now. You cannot leave that just to me. Um, to say that. It's, it's got to be you and, and those who are helping this country understand what is happening in our name. Again, like I said, it does end abruptly. But look, the media broadly has a responsibility to tell the truth and to put events in context. There are tons of situations where there are multiple sides to an issue, or you can simply say, well, you know, this person said this and that person said that, and that is genuinely all that happened. So I'm not saying Cuomo is ill-intentioned here, he's just doing the thing that probably feels natural to him. But O'Rourke is right in calling out the media in general here, saying your first responsibility is to the truth. And part of that truth is offering context around what this president says. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. He doesn't get to walk up to a podium one day, say one thing that comports with a worldview that I like, and have that somehow erase the long history of his other statements. So, context matters, and it really is kind of simple that way. All right, next story. Okay, one more follow-up to yesterday that has to do with legislation around gun safety. As I mentioned yesterday, the House has already passed two bills with common-sense rules around background checks and waiting periods for people looking to buy a gun. Those two bills have not yet been considered by the Senate. 
Now, I've seen a little bit of an argument out there in the Twitterverse that this isn't enough. And no, it's not enough. You know, these particular mass shooters bought their guns legally, and these two laws would not have stopped them. But we don't get from where we are today to a world of zero mass shootings with one bill. At least, we don't do it with the Congress that we've got. So I want to be clear, there is legislation on the table that could be passed today. And it would normalize the idea that we can pass legislation related to gun safety. It's the beginning. It's not the end. So here's a clip from Senator Kirsten Gillibrand on CNN talking about essentially that. Listen in. There are two measures that did pass the House. One that would extend the waiting period from three to 10 days. The other that would close the gun show loophole and expand, not make it universal background checks, but expand them greatly. Would you vote yes on those House measures that passed? For sure. And it may not be enough. You want more than that, yes? Right. We should ban the assault weapons and we should ban the large magazines. We should have a federal anti-gun trafficking law uh, as well as universal background checks. Those are the three most common sense uh, ideas that we that are supported on a bipartisan basis. We could get that done. And Mitch McConnell should call the Senate back in today uh, and we should pass these measures. So, yeah, I think this is a useful argument to keep in mind. Start to make gun safety laws normal. Because right now, the entire concept of passing anything related to guns is anathema to a bunch of people in our Congress. They've never done it before. It is not normal for them. Let's start making it normal with these smaller measures that, broadly, Americans agree on. Then, let us move forward with due haste toward the bills that actually would substantially reduce the violence we experience in our country every day. The Election Ride Home is sponsored by a fantastic podcast called The Meb Faber Show. The Wall Street Journal named it one of the top five investing podcasts you should not miss. If you're looking to learn from the brightest minds in finance, or you just want to know more about investing in a casual, fun interview format, this show is a must-listen. It's hosted by Meb Faber, who is CEO of Cambria Investments and an award-winning ETF manager. The goal of his show is to help you grow and preserve your wealth by giving you new investing insights and ideas. So check out The Meb Faber Show wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Meb, M-E-B, Faber, F-A-B-E-R. You don't want to miss it. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now that we are well into Q3, analysts have had plenty of time to dig around in the candidates' Q1 and Q2 Federal Election Commission filings and figure some stuff out. One of the most useful findings is that Democratic donors are giving money to multiple candidates, and this is not just true for rich people. In an article for 538, Carrie Levine and Chris Zubak-Skies dig in and reveal lots of interesting stuff. Reading from that article, quote, 
At least 2.4 million people have pumped about $209 million into the campaigns of major Democratic presidential contenders during the first half of 2019, according to an analysis of campaign finance data by the Center for Public Integrity and 538. That's a jump of more than 70% over the amount that individual donors gave to presidential candidates of both parties combined at the same point in 2015. End quote. Um, hello, yes, that second part, that jump of more than 70%, that is a big deal. And you might recall that, you know, in 2015, there was a super big Republican primary field, and those people got donations. So it's not like you can chalk that increase up to the historically large Democratic field right now. To me, this sure looks like a leading indicator of Democratic interest in this election. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't think there was a ton of interest in this election, but we have data now. Okay, so what else? Reading again from 538, quote, Among the $196 million for which we have detailed donor information, we found that the number of Democratic presidential campaign donors who gave in June, the last month of the second fundraising quarter, was 25% higher than the number who gave in March, the end of the first fundraising quarter, end quote. Okay, well, that's what I would expect. As time marches on and more candidates show up, more donors chip in. For instance, Biden wasn't actually in the race in Q1, so having him show up in Q2 is notable. But he didn't show up in June. He launched in late April, and he made a ton of his money on his first day, and in the month after that. So this is not just an effect of there being more candidates joining the field. It's also likely an effect of more donors tuning into the election and beginning to spend. All right, reading again, here are two of three major points made by the article in 538. And yes, I do want you to go read it to get the third one. There is a link in the show notes. Anyway, quote, Nearly one out of every three donors who have given to any presidential campaign have donated to Senator Bernie Sanders, a Vermont Democrat who has, by far, the largest number of donors of any of the Democratic candidates. That doesn't mean they gave exclusively to Sanders. Many people have given money to multiple Democratic candidates. About one in five donors have given to two or more Democratic presidential candidates so far this year. About 150,000 people gave to three or more Democratic candidates. This is likely at least partially an effect of the Democratic National Committee requiring candidates to surpass donation thresholds as one criterion for participating in presidential debates. End quote. Okay, this really is interesting. Anecdotally, I've had friends and listeners tell me they're tossing a few bucks explicitly to get those candidates into the early debates, but also because they actually like multiple candidates and want to see them go deeper into the race. Well, now that we have some math and that top headline, the fact that roughly 20% of all Democratic donors in this field have given to two or more candidates this year, tells us a lot. Now, this is usually the part of the story where I remind you that, oh, by the way, President Trump is outraising everybody anyway, so doom and gloom. But if you combine the donations to the Democratic field, they now surpass those to Trump, despite him opening his re-election bid immediately after taking office. Okay, so I don't want to literally read the rest of the article out loud to you because it really is worth your time and their valuable click to go check it out. But I will say, they present some data in the latter half of the article on which candidates specifically are overlapping. Meaning, if a donor has given money to multiple candidates, who are the overlapping sets of candidates? There are some really surprising findings there. One that is not surprising is that there is major overlap between donors to Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Bernie Sanders. But here's the kicker. 
the same amount of overlap exists between Warren and Senator Kamala Harris. That's a big deal because a lot of pundits look at those candidates as being very, very different. They see Warren as a super-duper progressive and Harris as being kind of center-left. Now, to be frank, I think donors see them both as possible presidents. I think this stuff about which ideological lane the candidates are in is far less meaningful to actual voters than the pundits would like to believe. One last thought on this whole thing. You probably know by now that there is a $2,800 limit on what an individual can give to each candidate in each election. The primary is one election, then the general is another. Looking at the fact that, overall, Democrats have already outraised the sitting president despite his roughly two-year head start, that means if these donors stick around and support the eventual candidate, even with small-dollar donations, they should be able to continue outraising him. Now just think about that, having more money than Donald Trump. That's a nice feeling, isn't it? In a tweet posted this morning, former Senator Mike Gravel endorsed Sanders in a short video clip. I will just play that audio now. My name is Mike Gravel. I'm proud and honored to endorse Senator Bernie Sanders for the presidency of the United States. Bernie has a program that benefits all Americans, not just the 1%. He will be a great president for all Americans. We have a simple choice. We can have a democratic socialism of Bernie Sanders to benefit all Americans, or we can have Republican socialism, which benefits the 1% and leads us to a constant state of war. The choice is yours. If you watch the video, you'll see there's a lot of cutting going on to get that message strung together, but that's fine. This is not Gravel trying to perform live. So now we know where Gravel stands, and we can assume that means Gravel will essentially point his donors and perhaps even give his donor email list to Sanders. Now, I think it's fairly unlikely that there are a lot of Gravel donors in the wild who didn't also give to Sanders, but still, endorsements matter, and to have Gravel go out this way is the classy thing to do. It's also, quite frankly, nice to hear it from his own mouth, you know, rather than the Twitter account run by multiple people who are probably not him. So, well done, Senator Gravel, and congratulations, Senator Sanders. And last of today, some congressional news. Yesterday, J.D. Scholten announced that he will run, again, against Representative Steve King for King's seat in Iowa's 4th District. Shulton posted a long, soothing campaign ad, which I would just love to play here, but he doesn't actually speak in the ad. Instead, it is narrated by Kevin Costner, no kidding, and it is very beautiful and shows farms and farmers and all that stuff. It is very Field of Dreams. Okay, so why is this important? Well, first off, Shulton lost to King in 2018 by about 3%. Now, this is within a district that Donald Trump won by 30 points in 2016, so, you know, that seat is definitely in play. The other thing is, you may not know who Steve King is. Reading from an article by Trip Gabriel in the New York Times today, quote, Mr. King was stripped of his congressional committee assignments this year by House Republicans after he questioned why white nationalism was offensive. He later said he had nothing to apologize for and would run in 2020 for a 10th term in his deeply conservative district in northwest Iowa. If he survives a primary challenge next year, Mr. King will appear on the same bout as President Trump, whose nativism and anti-immigrant remarks Mr. King long foreshadowed. 
In Mr. King's 4th District, which Mr. Trump won by nearly 30 points, voters in the past have either agreed with or overlooked Mr. King's divisive language about Latino migrants, who sustain much of the agricultural economy there. End quote. Yeah, alright. So in the 2018 election, Shulton almost got there, but he fell short despite outspending King by roughly 300%. Of course, this was before King made his comments about white nationalists and white supremacists and subsequently lost his seats on both the Judiciary and Agriculture Committees in the House. You can imagine that in Iowa's 4th District, losing your seat on the Ag Committee is kind of a big problem. Even if King makes it back into the House, he won't have much political power. And frankly, he might not even be on the ballot. Reading again from the Times, quote, Iowa will be in the political spotlight next year, not just for its presidential caucuses in February, but also because it will feature competitive races up and down the ballot in November for the Senate and all four of its congressional seats. To win re-election, Mr. King must first defeat three primary challengers, most prominently Randy Feenstra, a state senator who has outraised him with the support of the Republican establishment. Mr. King brought in just $91,000 in the quarter ending in June, compared with Mr. Feenstra's $140,000. So, this is still an uphill climb for Shulton. But in a quick review this morning, I saw him essentially endorsed on Twitter by Senators Booker, Klobuchar, and Warren, plus Governor Bullock, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and Marianne Williamson, and Andrew Yang. This will be a race to watch. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter at Chris Higgins. As I wrote today's show, I learned that Toni Morrison passed away yesterday, and I am reminded of her speech from 1993 as she accepted the Nobel Prize in Literature, which was meaningful to me as a student at the time, in part because she spoke directly to writers and storytellers. I'd like to read a brief portion of her remarks here. Quote, Passion is never enough, neither is skill, but try... For our sake and yours, forget your name in the street. Tell us what the world has been to you in the dark places and the light. Don't tell us what to believe, what to fear. Show us belief's wide skirt and the stitch that unravels fear's call. End quote. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.